We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, if you want to be turning there. Um, If you're using one of the Bibles in the pews, it's going to be on page 969. Um, And if you need a Bible, you can take one of these with you as our gift to you. Um, If you have somebody that needs a Bible, take one of these. We've got boxes of extras, so so please utilize these as gifts uh, to people who who need, uh, need one. So we have um, we, we had a congregational meeting in here at 9:30, and so so many of us have been together for an hour already and moving into to this time now, and uh, just so we're all on the same page and know where we're going, uh, we announced this morning that the closing date for our. Uh, sale of our property is moving up sooner from our anticipated June 1st, and we will be closing on April 2nd. Um, And so we are moving up the timeline on several things and catching up on some timelines for some other things. A long story there, but that's why we had another meeting. Um, and so, but we are excited uh, to, to be in this process of, of moving into a new building. Now, now the building is just a tool. Um, it is not who we are as a church. And so where we meet is not important, is not as important as who we are as a people of God. And so uh, our last Sunday in this building is going to be March 31st. And so after that, we will be moving into a temporary location that has yet to be determined. Uh, we'll be in those te- that temporary location until our new building is done, uh, hopefully the end of this year, uh, ready to move in in January of next year. And so we've got a lot of transition that's happening as a church, uh, lots of exciting things as we uh, move forward uh, with, with who we are as a church. Um, but we've been in this series on the promises of God reminding ourselves of who God is, right? So, so when things are uncertain, when things are unsettled, when things are challenging, it's so important for us to go back and remember that God is who God says he is, that he promises us certain things that will never go away, a certain things that are guaranteed. And when the, when the ground is unstable beneath us, holding on to the promises of God is so critical. And so we've talked about God's promise for new life, God's promise for faithfulness, um, God's promise for blessing. And today we're going to look at God's promise for guidance. That God promises us that that even though we are called into some pretty challenging things, even though uh, the, the bar of discipleship rises, as followers of Jesus, we also have the promise of ministry but he also provides us this promise of guidance. When we think about um, salt, um, most of us initially will think about a salt shaker on our tables, right? That salt is used to season our food. And if any of you have had the the unfortunate opportunity to go on a salt-free diet, you realize that salt is in everything, right? You look at... uh, the labels on canned goods, and you have a heart attack just reading the label about how much salt is in a can of green beans. When you go on a salt-free diet or a low-salt diet, um, you realize how much salt is in everything. And you read those labels, and it's, you know, 3,000% the daily allowances for that one can of something. 
I did a, a salt-free diet for a while and kind of go back in and out of it. But, but in, in this time, I went for, for a couple months with having very little salt in my diet. And I went to a restaurant and had a steak that was not prepared by me. And it had salt on it. And it was so salty because I had lost a taste for salt. And you realize how, how much excess there is in the saltiness of restaurants. You know, we think about salt in a lot of different ways. You know, through, through this winter season, we've had a lot of salt on the roads, right? Trying to, to melt ice. We put salt out on our sidewalks to make sure that the, the ice melts so that we don't slip and fall and the attorneys don't get involved. We, we, you know, we, we, we use salt for a variety of different things. Of course, if, if we think back on salt, we think of it as a preservative, right? It can, it can go into to things that, that typically nowadays we would refrigerate, but, but if you don't have refrigeration, you use salt to preserve things. But another thing that salt is used for is as a fertilizer, Salt is added to the soil to help that soil be more fruitful, to help things multiply. Salt, especially in the time of Jesus, was often scattered out into the ground and worked into the soil to provide nutrients, to provide nourishment for the soil and for that which was planted. It's worked into the, the soil to, to enhance the product, productivity of the ground. And so there's this other use of salt. And so we get to Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus is painting this picture of salt and light, something that's familiar to us, to many of us. Let's read Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 13. Remember, Jesus has just finished uh, he's in the middle of his Sermon on the Mount, and he's just finished the Beatitudes, talking about what the blessed life looks like, what life in the kingdom of God looks like, what life as disciples of Jesus looks like. These are the ones that are blessed. But then he gets into verse 13 and says, you, these Beatitude people that we have been, been talking about, these kingdom people, you are the salt of the earth. Not the salt of the salt shaker, the salt of the earth. But the salt, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. So Jesus likes to use agricultural metaphors. And here he says, you are the salt of the earth. And in our modern context, we go to the salt shaker, the seasoning of food, and we can come up with all these metaphors, and, and this is the challenge with metaphors, is a lot of them are really good, even if it's not what Jesus was talking about. We look at these metaphors of, of what it means to be salty in the world. And even if you think of salt as a preservative, what does it mean to preserve the world? But, but to think of it as a fertilizer something that helps produce fruits, something that increases the productivity of the lands. You are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. And then he says, you are the light of the world. 
A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And so Jesus is giving these, these two sets of metaphors about what it means to be a disciple, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And he, and he says, you are the salt of the earth. He's not talking about this flavoring. He's not talking about this preservative. He's talking about salt being worked into the ground. As, as salt in the earth, it's, it's the disciple's job to, to work in that earth, moving within it, moving among it, making the land more productive and fruitful and, and subtly changing the very character of the soil itself. When fertilizer is applied to the soil, it changes the very character of the soil so that the soil is more productive, that it's more fruitful. And so we are called as disciples, as, as salt of the earth, to, to stimulate the growth of truth, the growth of righteousness, to, to increase the production of goodness in the world. That's what our saltiness is. That the world is better because of our presence in the world. And so, so being salt is, is, is to fertilize the cultural barrenness around us. That we have a culture that is dead soil. And, and to come in and, and provide salt, to provide fertilizer, helps to bring life, to bring fruitfulness to that barrenness. And it means that we have to get deep below the surface of this, this cultural reality that we're in. It requires that we're mixing things up. It requires that we're running around with drawings. It requires that we're patient with our kids and go with the flow in preaching. We have to get deep beneath the surface and, and, and requires that we mix things up. You know, to, to, to till a garden requires digging through all the layers of sediment and turning it upside down. The bottom layers need to come to the top and the top layers go to the bottom as we, we shift and turn the soil, helping to make it fertile again. And so being the salt of the earth is, is to work missionally in the midst of the world around us, in the midst of a Christ-starved culture, that the good news is needed for all. And so we are the salt of the earth. And when the salt is no longer salty, when the salt is no longer in the world making the world better, making the world more fruitful, bringing the, the good news of Jesus. When that saltiness is not there, it's worthless. It's pointless. It's a waste of time. And so you are the salt of the earth. Do not be trampled underfoot. Do not lose your saltiness. And then he uses this light metaphor. We've got our, this, this scented Christmas candle that we 
we use every Christmas from Bath and Body Works, right? It's like the, the perfect Christmas scent to fill your house with Christmas. I think it's labeled Christmas, um, as, as if Christmas is a scent, right? And it, it totally is, yes, okay. <laughs> and so we have this candle burning, and, and you can blow the candle out, but really the best way to get the candle to go out is just to put the lid back on. And you put the lid back on, and it suffocates the flames, and the smoke is all contained, and the wax cools and hardens, and now you have no mess and no smoke. And so if you have a candle and you you put it under something, you put it under this basket, it now lacks the critical thing that a flame needs to burn, which is oxygen. The oxygen is no longer present. And so for a flame to exist, it has to be exposed to oxygen. And so in the same way, the salt is bringing uh, bringing productivity to the earth. The flame needs exposure to the world around it, not only to be seen, but also even to stay lit. That when that flame is not used in the world where the oxygen exists, that flame goes out. It suffocates. When the salt is no longer salty and is not used to fertilize the land, it's trampled underfoot. And so salt and light do not exist simply for their own sake. Salt and light do not exist for their own purpose. Salt and light exist for a greater goal, to produce good deeds and glory to God. And so when Jesus says, you are the salt, you are the light, he says, you are the ones that are bringing good to the world. You are the ones who are bringing and producing good deeds, you are the ones that are glorifying God. And so will our lives glorify God? But Jesus doesn't stop there. The sermon continues for several more chapters. And what seems to be a big leap into, the, into verse 17 is really just a continuation of this case that he's making for what it means to live life in the kingdom. What does it mean to be Christ followers in the kingdom of God? And he says in verse 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but I've come to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will be any means, by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices... And teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, there's a lot to tackle in this passage. 
beyond what we can get to this morning. But for our purposes this morning, we see Jesus connecting what he is calling his followers to do with the bigger picture of God, the law, the prophets. All of this is being fulfilled in Jesus. This isn't something new. It's not something different. It's, it's a fulfillment of what has already been happening. And Jesus is placing himself and his followers in this bigger story of God. That in this bigger story is where we exist. That, that he's, what he's just said about salt and light, as well as what he said in, in the Beatitudes, all of this is wrapped up together. All of it is wrapped up in this Jewish past. And so the law, this, the sacred texts of the, of the first five books of the Old Testament, this, this law is fulfilled in Jesus. The words of the prophets are, are all coming to this moment of fulfillment, this, this time of unity. The, the coming of Jesus initiates this time of all of this being accomplished. And so the attitudes of, of the Beatitudes will be fully realized through Jesus, that who we are as Christ followers will be fulfilled through Jesus, that, that the fertilized soil will be fruitful, the darkness will be fully banished by the light because of Jesus. Through Jesus, God is, is forming this new community, and, and through the attitudes of these people, these God followers, these Jesus followers, through that, and by, by the witnessing work of this city on a hill that can be seen through the lights, through the fertilizing of the soil, through the salt, through these things, this new age, this, this kingdom of God is all initiated. And that's what he calls us into. One of the challenges of Scripture is this, this tug-of-war throughout the New Testament and really throughout all of Christian history of, of what is grace and what are works? That as disciples, we're called to something different. We're called to do things differently. And we've wrapped that up and tied that up into our salvation. That unless you get all of this right, unless you are able to, to go perfectly through everything that has been expected of you, then you are a failure you are lost. You're going to hell. And so there has been, there, there is this tug of war between what is, what is it that we're called to do differently? What is the life that we're to li live as disciples? But what role does God play in, in saving us? And so Paul is, is, throws out this, this, this statement of, should we continue on sinning, sinning so grace may abound? That because we have grace, we can just do whatever we want, right? There's no, there are no requirements. There are no expectations because grace wins out on all of that. And so we can continue on our, our selfish ways. And then, of course, you have, have James, who, who talks about the importance of good works, that, that faith without works is dead. And so we attempt to reconcile this uh, throughout Scripture, this relationship between what to do, be, being the salt, being the light, these expectations of discipleship with what God is doing. That even though in, 
in, in this passage, we see that Jesus is saying he has not come to abolish the law. He has come to fulfill it. And so, yes, we are saved by grace. And yet, we are called to live in response to that grace. That, that the, the bar of discipleship is raised, not to earn the love of God, not to earn the promises of God, but to respond to the incredible gifts that he has given us, the promises that he gives us. And so this word response is key, that, that our actions do not save us. God's action saves us. But we choose to live a life that responds to this saving act of God. We choose to live this life of discipleship, where we are the salt, where we are the light. And so wrapped up into this is this promise that God gives us, that there is guidance, there's direction for us, that the law, the prophets, all of this had been pointing in the same direction. And so we have this incredible resource guide, this story of God through Scripture that says, I'm giving you the guidance that you need. That yes, I'm, I'm calling you to this, this higher standard. I'm calling you to this ministry. I'm calling you to, to a different life. But I'm going to provide you the guidance that you need along the way. And I think so many times we find ourselves in dark places and we feel lost. We feel like God is not speaking. We feel like God is not giving any guidance. He says, I'm providing this for you. I'm giving you a path forward. I'm giving you direction. I'm giving you a map on where to go. If you will just engage with it. And then we see in the Beatitudes, there is this promise within the promise. I'm going to give you guidance for the life to live. I'm going to give you guidance on how to be the salt and the lights. And you're going to be blessed by that. There is going to be a newfound joy, a newfound happiness that will come from living faithfully in what he has called us into. We're better off when our response to the grace of God is to honor God with our lives, to live lives of obedience. We're, we're happier when we are truly the salt, when we're truly the light, when we're living out that calling is when we will find ourselves happiest and most fulfilled. Just a few little practical things on the guidance of God. For me, this has been um, a very difficult week <laughs> um, as we have dealt with the ups and downs of our real estate agreement as a church. Um, and, and Jeff and Mike have been the, the brunt of, of most of that. That, that. There's this uncertainty, there's this challenge, there's the deal falling through, and then the deal on, and then the deal falling through, and then the deal on, and then the deal falling through, and then the deal on again. And, and it's created in me just this anxiety and this stress and this worry that is not at all God-honoring. 
And so simultaneously to dealing with that while also preparing for a congregational meeting, while also writing a sermon on the guidance of God, (laughs) I'm wandering through this room, literally just walking in circles in this room, wondering where is God? What do we do? What, what, What is going on here? What's happening here? as it appears to be hopeless, as it appears that everything is following, falling through. And so this week, I had to seek the guidance of God, not knowing at all how to seek the guidance of God while trying to write a sermon about seeking the guidance of God. And I'm reminded that there's four, four things about the guidance of God. And the first is Scripture. When we want answers from God, we so quickly forget that we've got a lot in our hands right here. Now, this is not a rule book. This is not a magic like, okay, God, do I take this job or not? Oh, yeah, there it is. I mean, that's not how the Bible works. But we have the story of God and the promises of God, and what God is up to in his word. And too often, this is not the first place that I run. The second piece of the guidance of God is seeking the counsel of others. (laughs) See, Kathy saw it coming. We'll deal with that later. Seeking the counsel of others. Kathy's counsel was to not put that on the music stands, and I did not seek that out. Let's recover from that. We thought the kids were distracted. All right. So in my moment of desperation this last week, and not really seeking the guidance of God, but just being in a state of worry. I had a phone conversation with Troy, walking in circles in this room, just walking circles, and Troy's trying to talk me off the ledge. But he also mentions that he's spending a lot of time reading through the Proverbs. And the Proverbs are full of wisdom. Proverbs are full of guidance. And so I get off the phone with him, and I pick up this Bible, this Bible, And I just start reading Proverbs out loud, walking circles in this room, reading the Proverbs out loud to myself and to God, reminding me of the wisdom of God, reminding me of the truth of God, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And there's just line after line of the wisdom of God, the guidance of God, that God's instructions to us are good and worthy of being followed. And so scripture is critical. God is speaking to us through his word. But God is also providing us counsel through others. And words that Troy said to me that, that he didn't think that that piece was really the critical part, but just anchoring into what he said about being in the Proverbs. 
just that alone drew me into what I needed to be into in that moment. And so are we in a relationship with others where these conversations can even happen? Are we seeking the counsel of others? This is where our life groups are so important, that, that, that we're in a community of, of others to talk about what's going on, and we can speak truth into others' lives and, and speak in, in, in ways that, that we couldn't in another context. And so whether it's life groups or something else, who are the people that you're having conversations with? Who are the ones that you're going to for counsel? Even if they don't know their counselors. But they too fear the Lord and are on this journey with us, following Jesus. A third thing, and this is one that I think hangs us up too much, is this idea of providential circumstances. You look at stories of Joseph, and you look at stories of Paul and and others throughout Scripture, and you see God working to guide his people where they need to be. And I'm careful to make this the third one and not the first one. Because I think too, too often we're quick to, okay, God, give me a sign, give me this, this circumstance, give me this answer, and we have neglected the things that he has given us all along the way through his word and through the community of faith. But once we have spent time in the word and once we're spending time in community, then we can start seeing those providential things from God. The conversations that are coincidental the phone calls that are random, the opportunities that come up. And when we're in the Word and when we are, are seeking the counsel of others, then it helps us to discern, are those things from God or not? But God does move through these circumstances, these opportunities. And then finally, God gives us guidance through answered prayer. James 1, 4 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. And so we pray for wisdom. We pray for God's guidance. This is a prayer that I prayed pretty young. I was, I was a teenager praying for wisdom. It was kind of an odd thing for a teenager to be praying for, but I was praying for wisdom. Praying for wisdom is kind of like praying for patience. Right? Danger, danger. Because God's going to walk you through a variety of different things to give you that wisdom. There's not a USB port that you just download it into. You just plug it in and say, oh, here's your wisdom. It's not that easy. But through prayer and through seeking the Lord and through asking for wisdom, asking for guidance, God will answer those prayers in ways that you did not anticipate and really preferred not to, but he will answer those prayers for you as you walk through this path. And so be prayerful that God will give you this guidance.
Here's a prayer as we close from a book called Beyond the Rat Race. How many of you want to go beyond the rat race? He says, Lord Jesus, I have been in control of my life, but I now want your spirit to be the one who runs my life. I'm giving you all my rights. Please take control of every area of my life. Whenever I am tempted to take back control, please point that out to me and help me have the courage and the strength to resist successfully the temptation or desire to take control again of my life. Show me how to live on top of my circumstances and not under them. Help me keep my eyes on you, Lord Jesus, instead of on my problems. Let me see you, Father, as the one who can and will meet every need in my life. Let me be sufficient in you and not in my own abilities and strengths. Help me to have the right balance between living in your control and exercising diligence as I respond to each facet of my life. Whenever pressures Come and have been unbearable or debilitating. Show me your presence. Anything I've been doing wrong or thinking improperly. Then show me how to correct my faults, my faulty actions and thoughts, so that I can continue to walk in your spirit's control. Thank you that you want to do these things in my life even more than I do. Remind me of that when my faith gets weak. Let's be standing together. So we're going to have a time of prayer. And don't come front to right here, but you can come down front to over there because there's a lot of glass right here. And it's all the way over there too. All right. This is a time for us to encourage one another, to, to seek counsel, to seek wisdom of others, to seek, to seek God's comfort through others. It's a time for us to spend, spend in the Word together, as we've been doing. But as we, as we sing this next song, we want the, the opportunity for us to seek out prayer. And so I'll be down front. We'll have shepherds down front. You can pray together as a life group, pray together as, as friends and family. But this is a time to lift up our concerns to God. God, we thank you so much for, for the blessings that you give us and the opportunities that you give us. God, we thank you for this time in your word. Would you continue to show us your way? Continue to help us be the salt and the light. And then give us the guidance for what that means. When we're losing our saltiness, when we're suffocating the light, would you show that to us? so that we can live fully into the mission and the calling that you have on each of our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.